Having a baby is meant to be the most joyful time of your life. But for many mums and dads, it can be the hardest and at times the darkest of places. Welcome to Blue Mondays, the podcast for anyone struggling with parenting. Today's guest is Mark Williams. Mark is a keynote speaker, author, consultant and international campaigner. In 2004, he experienced depression and suffered in silence for years until he entered community mental health services. Mark founded International Fathers Mental Health Day and the hashtag HowAreYouDad campaign to make sure all parents are having support for the whole family. Mark has spoken on television and radio stations around the world while working with Dr. Jane Hanley. In 2020, Mark published the report called Fathers Reaching Out, Why Dads Matter, showing that there are far better outcomes for the whole family and the development of the child when fathers are more involved and supported. In 2021, the film Daddy Blues was released, which was based on Mark's journey. Wow, <laughs> you've achieved a heck of a lot since your uh, your battles with depression. So uh, welcome to Blue Mum Days, Mark, and I'm so honoured to have you on as a guest today. No, thank you, Vicky. No, exactly. It's, it's the point is that uh, after going through what we've gone for as, as parents, uh, you know, something good can come up with something bad as well. That's the most important thing as well to show that you're not alone, but you can use those experiences to help other people when you are having or had that support, I should say. So can you take us back to the birth of your son and how you were feeling sort of on the way to the hospital? Because you talk about it so eloquently in Elliot Ray's book, Dad and how positive you felt on the way to the hospital. Can you can you take us back to that that moment? Yeah, definitely. Uh, everything was fine. The pregnancy was fine. You know, we just got married uh, a year previously. Uh, new house, you know, I was in a good job. I was in a, in a sales role. And uh, my wife was in a good job, really good job with the company. And everything's fine financially. It was great. And we were ready. We thought we were ready to become parents. And, uh, and I think... Leading up to that, uh, you know, we've done the antenatal classes and everything, but um, I think what really shook me was, uh, you know, after 22 hours labour, really, and, uh, you know, I was I was expecting to be in and out, to be honest. In my, you know, my sister-in-law was in and out in, uh, in, a, in an hour or so, and, uh, you know, after 22 hours labour, and then, obviously, Michelle's getting tired now, and then I'm starting to worry about her. Instantly, you know, three doctors come rushing in, and uh, I could tell by the faces, I pick up on facial expressions and uh, they were concerned and uh, they said, Mr. Williams, your wife needs an emergency C-section. And it was the first time and only time I've had a panic attack. You know, I never experienced anything like that. And I felt guilty because now the attention's on me when it should be on my wife, Michelle, as well, you know. How, how did that manifest? How, what, what happened? Yeah, I just, um, yeah, gosh, it just came over me at palpitations and, I was just panicky and then um, it was like this choking sensation, you know, it's just like, uh, I just felt totally different than I never felt before. Like, and uh, and then you start thinking, am I gonna, you know, collapse? Like, because you hear all these stories and, uh, you know, people making fun sometimes, the father's collapsing in labor wards and all sorts of things. But, um, you know, I remember the you know, mid- midwife uh, gave me a bag and, you know, told me, you know, to breathe. Yeah, it just came over me and then, Michelle goes down to theatre then, obviously, and what happened after that, uh, when I went to theatre, and the first thing you see is, you know, the knives, and, you know, she's on an operation table, and she's looking panicky, and 
yeah, and obviously what happened after that, obviously, I just weren't prepared for it, like, and uh, and I honestly thought my wife and baby was going to die in front of me, like, you know. And that sounds like a very traumatic experience. Would you say you felt traumatised? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, Vicky, I've, I've seen horrific things in my life, you know, with the secure and loads of things, you know, still at this day, thinking the wife and baby is going to die in front of him, you know, and for me personally, it was a lot of fathers I speak to and grandparents. It was traumatic. It was in the, even the communication, the noises going off and, and then what happened, trying to get the baby out and all sorts of things. Uh, and then all of a sudden then, you know, after trying to process it, which I tried to, you know, he handed this little bundle of joy and uh, I just didn't get this, you know, feeling that, um, you know, this love that I was expecting, you know, and oh, I cut the baby's cord and I was just panicking. I was thought I was going to drop him because I had to take him and get weighed. So, yeah, I didn't initially get those those uh, feelings that society sometimes tell us. I think it's one of those myths of childbirth, isn't it? Because for so many of the parents that I have talked to, you know, I think it can happen. You get that wonderful euphoric moment. And I think as a mum, you're, you're very much expected to have that wonderful feeling. And a lot of the people that I've spoken to on this podcast have said they never had that. And and. There's this expectation, whereas actually I don't think it's as common as we're led to believe. And how was it for you? Because obviously, if you're having an emergency C-section, I can imagine all the medical staff are, you know, focused on that, keeping Michelle and your baby alive and and comforted. Was there any support for you in the operating room? Uh, no, no, it's it's like I said, it's well, still not much support for fathers now in 2021, but uh, but certainly back in 17 years ago, there was no debrief. Uh, there was no conversation afterwards. How, how, what was a perfect experience like for yourself, really? And uh, I think that really changed for me personally when I got home, because I was expecting to leave the three of us and then, you know, you go home to an empty house. I think I was masking my emotions, you know, because I didn't show I was fear in front of Michelle as well, because I didn't want to uh, upset her. But she was terrified. She was terrified, you know. And uh, and then, you know, you start thinking like, you know, this little, little stranger come into this world and I made my wife, you know, uh, feel fear, like sort of thing, you know. It's, it's mad what you think as well, you know. But um, I think obviously, as I know, later on, I started to get that, those feelings, uh, later on but certainly back then yeah I was just uh it was just overwhelming there was so much going on in a short space of time as well and um communication side yeah I was never asked did any of your sort of male friends who had become fathers or family did anybody sort of prepare you for how it might feel as as a dad becoming a parent no no nothing my my father didn't go into the labor ward uh, he was down the mines uh it was a massive lack of education. I think that's the point, you know, we need more education in the antenatal period to prepare dads because sometimes communication can cause trauma as well. And, uh, you know, far as we left outside to know what's going on. Yeah, definitely something that I would like to know more. Yeah, it's incredible because as well, sort of from our parents' generation, it probably wasn't something that you talked about. And I think because we, we're obviously a, a similar age, that with our generation as well, men and boys were brought up to be tough, you know, and to not 
feel you know was that something you also battled with internally yeah I coming from a, a mining community is very much a a tough working class area, I should say. My father's a miner, my grandfather's a miner, his uncles are miners. So I'm a first generation not, go, not to go underground, you know. So, so, and I got a wonderful relationship with my father, still have, but um, there was no conversation about mental health, you know. So if I had a problem, he'd say, come on, mate, let's go to the pub, let's go have a pint sort of thing, you know. So he didn't know, he didn't know the conversation, how it was going to start either. So it was only till years later when my father had psychosis after having a water infection and cal- uh, like calcium and high fever, that he really understood that uh, anyone can suffer with their mental health. So, um, but certainly back then, no, there was no conversation like that. And you try to man up, as they say, and uh, which is the worst thing you can do. Because I think the new man up is actually getting the help, really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, abs- absolutely. And um, I love how you've since dedicated your life to to sort of helping others and getting that message out and you know together with the, the work that you've been doing with Dr Andy Mayers and also Elliot Ray and getting this conversation about the experience of fathers and how fathers are affected and fathers are important you know and I absolutely put my hand up that when when I first came up with the idea of Blue Mum Days I mean the whole name you know it's I was thinking of of, of the mums and it wasn't until researching it further that I realised that there was this whole world of of experience that the dads had and of course you know you're going through the traumatic experience as well and there is so much expectation on you as men to as you say be the man be the provider protect your family and no acknowledgement on what a life-changing experience you've been through you know good and bad so what happened when your family sort of came home how how was it in the first few weeks yeah, after three days, Michelle came out of the hospital and uh, instantly it was something I couldn't put my finger on, really. She was very clingy. She wouldn't let me go. And um, But when we came home, obviously, I, it was like a stranger in the house. You know, she was uh, really starting to get unwell then. And um, I think it was really picked up really quick by the health visitor that she had a severe po- well, post depression, But it was so severe that unfortunately... Um, she didn't want to be here anymore and um so and she's sorry. quite open with this as well you know she tried to take a life and all sorts of things you know so obviously you witness that and then coming home from I think I'd been out uh, shopping and the ambulance there and all sorts of things and um obviously that's when the, the family really got involved then because there was no way of hiding it then as well you know because you can imagine you know certainly 17 years ago the conversation on mental health isn't or wasn't I should say like it is today especially around the stigma post depression because everyone thought oh why why are you depressed you could just have a new baby you know but nothing to be depressed about so you know we couldn't tell a lot of people and um yeah we but it came to the point where we had to because obviously services were involved then and had she opened up to you about sort of the the depths of how she was feeling at that point not at that point as such but you know, I was, when the health visitor said, you know, your wife's got post-depression and I started thinking as a father, is it me? Is anything I've done? I was overthinking things, you know. I didn't know nothing about depression, let alone post-depression. So you start using, oh, come on, let's go out and use a credit card and let's go down to the local shops and try to make her happy, like sort of thing, which is, uh, you know, you can have all the money in the world and uh, you can go, you know, self depression. But it's just a lack of understanding for myself as a father as well. Obviously, I had to give up work then, you know, because I was self-employed at the time. And I was fortunate that I had a boss who um, 
whose, whose son was in the armed forces and, and was living with him and he had gone through PTSD. So I was lucky in that sense, but a lot of employers don't even know that fathers and mothers obviously are, um, can be impacted as well. Yeah. yeah. So you had to give up your job to live at home and look after both Michelle and your, your son. That must have been an incredibly stressful time. Yeah, I think when you look back, it was. But at the time, it was just like you just go for all emotions and, uh, you know, hospital appointments. Then you got, uh, you know, the social side. I liked about work. And then, you know, we, we look at COVID now, you know, how it impacts on people. But I was I couldn't get out of the house because I had to be with my wife, Michelle. And, and obviously, Ethan and, you know, learning to, you know, do all the stuff that uh, like nappy changes, which I hadn't done before. And, and obviously, Michelle was so well, she could breastfeed and, the bottles and all sorts of things, you know. So I was, um, I think that a lot of good benefits came out of that six months because obviously now I was uh, really in tune with Ethan, without knowing I was, uh, when Michelle was unwell in bed, it was just me and him. So I was a bit like in the moment, like a mindfulness moment sort of thing. And and then doing skin to skin without realizing it releases oxytocin, which is good for dad and baby, and also baby massage, all these things. So I saw my bonding actually became better I was in an attachment then as well so I think that the last six months the best thing was I had that time with Ethan as well you know and uh, it made me into the father I am today like so obviously Michelle was very very ill at that time and I mean you must have had your work cut out because not only were you looking after a baby for the first time you know it's everything a new parent can relate to. It's that feeling of like, oh my God, what do I do? You know, it's just crazy, isn't it? It feels like you've been hit by a truck. But how was your own mental health at that time? Did you, were you able to sort of think and reflect on how you were feeling or? No, no. And uh, I think at the time then, like you see, going through it and then, well, I knew I had some sort of um, anxiety previously before becoming a parent. I was I was later diagnosed with ADHD, but I self-managed that up to that point. And as you know, the lack of sleep can have a huge impact on your mental health. But also, when I was coming home for work, work uh, the first person I bounced off was Michelle. You know, I'm a very much a big kid with Michelle, you know, and uh, you go from, you know, your loved one, having a conversation and then obviously there was nothing there then you know so it's it's it would that was hard because there was no conversation sometimes and it, and even though she had you know obviously what described as severe post depression she was amazing mum as well she just think thought she was good enough and all sorts of things she was amazing mum and, and and so on it wasn't just me taking care of the baby she was amazing michelle was but it was a case she was massively struggling with a mental health usually like as well you know so obviously that had a massive impact on my own mental health and during that postnatal period as well and after crisis team came involved my mother-in-law came to live with us and so that took a lot of pressure off it was hard at first because you know we we only in a, we were in a small new house and uh, my mother-in-law was there and I like my my safety my safe place which is my home and uh so that was hard, but I knew, obviously, I had to have my mother-in-law there because that's what Michelle wanted as well, you know. So, like I said, I I just, obviously, when I did have a chance, and I just used alcohol to try to cope with my mind from racing and as well. Like a lot of fathers I speak to, when I did manage to get it, try to go back to work, I left my stuff in the workplace and I went to the pub and I ended up in the casino till 2 o'clock in the morning. 
And coming home then, obviously my mother-in-law couldn't see, well, she wasn't exactly uh, pleased because obviously, you know, I'd been out all night and yeah, that was, you know, things like that. When I look back, you know, it was, it was tough. So my behavior totally changed in the postnatal period to a point where I was getting suicidal thoughts around about the four or five month mark as well. Never made a plan to take my life, but I was having a lot of suicide thoughts, which, which I hadn't that ever done before like that as well, you know. As Michelle was getting stronger, did you feel that you, it was, it was like you were strong when she needed you, but then the toll was taking its effect on, on your own health? Yeah, you're just trying to keep it all together. And, um, you know, the financial costs then, obviously, because I was self-employed, mortgage and all sorts of things. And then, you know, we had to do things that um, I hadn't done previously, you know. So, um, and then you look after your wife, Michelle, uh, obviously the baby, crying in the middle of the night, work at social side, everything. You try to keep it all together to be the strong one. And uh, when Michelle did obviously gradually get a lot better and when she become more well, that's when it really, you know, really hit me as well. But um, did a mad thing to get on mention. I only thought about the other day, we actually moved them a house about 10 months after my son was born to where we live in now, which is a really stressful time. Oh, and wow, people, that, that's I like know, the most I stressful. <laughs> I know, I know. It's crazy when I look back. And uh, the people who we... Um, who bought the house off as an estate agent. Um, we had a house awaiting, but we weren't ready to, to actually move in. And they just wanted us out. So, you know, we were more or less uh, homeless in a sense. So we're not homeless because we, we had my mother to go to. Uh, but um, but then all, all our stuff was scattered everywhere around people's houses and stuff like that. So that wasn't a good move, you know, to, um, to move at that time. But I'm glad we did move because obviously we built new memories here. So going back, if if you don't mind talking, I, I don't want to sort of cover anything that's that's triggering. No, you find it. Did you find your use of alcohol was that to sort of stop you from overthinking, or? Yeah, it's something. Obviously, I have used um, over the years, you know. Um, but I I think at that point, yeah, my mind my mind was racing. You know, I remember remember going out with my friends and. They, took, they didn't recognize me. I remember starting fights with bouncers, not because of a chance of beating them up, but when somebody's hitting me, it was like a form of self-harm, you know. I just wanted to take this agonizing thoughts and feelings away from my mind, you know. So I was very uh, anger. You know, I remember punching a sofa, busting my hand, and uh, now I'm in a sling. You know, you can imagine what everyone was seeing outside in the, in the world and, and my family, but nobody asked me how I was feeling, you know. And... Uh, and so, yeah, we've got to start looking why people behave in certain ways from, and like I said, up to that point, everything was great. You know, the pregnancy was fine, but my personality totally changed after having my son, Ethan, you know. And and with regards to your sort of recovery or, or sort of help, was any help offered to you? Did you have to ask for help? No, no, I just carried on. But what was... Um, the job I was in, I wasn't the same person going back to the job. I couldn't take the pressures anymore. And uh, I just carried on. I, I just suffered in silence for years, really. And uh, I think the changing point, obviously, was when I tried changing my job. I, I tried to volunteer in my local youth club. And unfortunately, there was a lot of young suicides in Virginia in 2007, 2008. And uh, I started educating myself on mental health. And I was really interested in it as well. 
But I still didn't get the help because I thought if I went to the GP, it'd be on my notes and I would never get a job in mental health. And these are some of the barriers we've got to break down with fathers as well, which, as we know, there's so many people in mental health have gone through it, you know, and um, that's why they do it as well, you know. So, you know, it was barriers from stopping me getting the help because I thought, oh, I'd be sectioned. I thought I'd be, uh, I, you know, you know, the baby, you know, social services as well during that time. You know, I, you know, fathers worry about social services. You know, the baby's going to take be taken off them as well, as well. So, you know, all these things, all these myths, we've got to break down as well. You know. So you you were saying about this this fear that employers will find out that you're you know that you've been treated for depression. Um, is that sort of to reassure any dads out there listening who who worry about that and it's stopping them from going forward? Is that something that does happen or is it all confidential? Yeah, obviously confidentiality is 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 huge, like you said. But I always say the quicker the help, the quicker recovery. At the end of the day, you're the most important thing. Work comes and goes, don't it, as well. But you know, employers now have signed up the pledges to put this early prevention in. They'd rather you to come forward to get that help because eventually it's going to impact your workplace and your family breaks down. I've seen so many families break down, unfortunately, because uh, the father, unfortunately, haven't got support as well. And that uh, goes into manifest into other areas, unfortunately. But, you know, so, you know, employers are more aware now. In 2021, we are talking about far better. And you've got Oc Health, you've got all sorts of support, you know, IAP services out there. I know there is certain waiting lists as well, but sometimes, you know, there's online stuff you can get support for now as well. There's loads of things that you can access for free. So, you know, I always say the quicker the health, the quicker recovery. You're the most important and your family. And and also, you know, it's like we say with mums that a happy mum means a happy baby and that actually you have to come first because it's going to have a, a knock-on effect with your child you know it, it looking after yourself and the same goes for dads and I'm really intrigued by um in your introduction I was talking about the the report that you did recently and how that that has proven that early intervention and support for fathers has a, a massive knock-on effect on not only the development of the child but the family as a whole can you tell us a little bit more about that work you've done yeah definitely um uh me and Dr. Andy Mayer's, um, you know, we've worked together on campaign and, you know, we have changed a long-term plan where fathers will be screened and supported for their mental health. But that's only if mum is in special services. As we know, a lot of mums don't get those special services either. So we're missing out a lot of fathers out there as well. And, um, you know, the research tells us. So basically what happened was in lockdown, I was getting emails off NHS and other organisations. What's the stats? What's the research mark? Because I get it from other countries as well. No, people send yeah. it over to me. And uh, I just needed a document where I can, you know, show policy changes and, and governments. Uh, look, have a look. It's an easy read document. This is why we can cut down adverse childhood experiences. We can cut down uh, suicides in men because the biggest killer in men under 45 is suicide. Yeah. And there's actually higher risks during the perinatal period than at any other time in a man's life. So what happens is, and as an advocate that was for mums, I used to come across mums who had PND or PTSD from years ago, never supported or treated, and then they end up in mental health services afterwards. Mm. And this has always been the case for fathers. A lot of fathers get diagnosed with anxiety or depression, but they don't get the cause 
as well. So yeah, imagine yeah. if ever baby comes along, the anxiety in the antenatal period is going to be far higher now. And we got to remember that a lot of mums get diagnosed with post-depression, but they don't get diagnosed with PTSD. Um, yeah. And the tr PTSD uh, overlaps in the post period, which needs sometimes totally different treatments as well with uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. Because PTSD is an anxiety disorder, either witnessing or experiencing a life-threatening event. That's what PTSD is. Mm. and some of the symptoms are nightmares and flashbacks but they're more severe symptoms but we got to remember it's an anxiety disorder so sometimes it's not picked up because we assume we got to have these nightmares you know i certainly had nightmares but it, you know and, and certain things but um but yeah so you know it's all this education and, and recommendations it's in this book as well and one in ten fathers suffer from post-depression now this research was over a lot of studies years ago but once we got to remember it was one in 10 for years for mums until recently, last 10 years, we've seen it far higher. Once we start screening and assessing dads, and when fathers actually open up about their mental health, we know, and researchers are telling us, that it's on par with mums as well. And oh, that's wow. an alarming thing. So when you think about post-depression, all the thoughts and feelings mums has, there's not ones that, that dads can't get either. Some of the things that come up as all is isolation, feeling jealous and the relationships. These are some of the things that maybe mums may not experience as well. So there's other things, pressure, man enough and all sorts of the masculinity, which we got to take into account too as well. So, yeah, so, you know, anxiety is even far higher than depression, of course it is. But, uh, you know, so we, when I started speaking to the fathers and, do you know, Vicky, it's not the fathers used to come to me, the mums used to come to me. This is a thing. This is why it's important you're doing this today because this will educate mums to look at the signs and symptoms uh, in fathers as well as partners. Because the mums used to phone me up and say, Mark, you know, I'm fine, I've been supported, but my husband's mental health is actually impacting my mental health since my son is born or, or daughter. Wow, wow, it's incredible. And, and what you've proven through your research and your work is that early intervention is, is crucial, you know, not just for the mums, but for the dads as well, because this is something that I've talked about and, you know, with other people on, on other episodes is how there's a knock-on effect. You know, if, if you get early intervention early on, it nips everything in the bud and if you don't, there is the possibility that it will manifest itself in much more harmful ways further down the line. And so from an employer's point of view, they have a duty of care to you as an employee to help you through this difficult period. Because compassion aside, if they're looking at the bottom line of their, their needs from you as an employee, it makes far more sense for them to, to invest in whatever treatment or help you need now or time off you need now because it prevents you from sort of taking further time off or being impacted much much more significantly later down the line so you know there's an economic economic benefit. massive economic factors you're right there Vicky uh, you know the economic report they did on maternal mental health you know 20 percent on the mum and 78 percent on the child's development now that if you invest uh, 337 million pound in special services this is special services, it would save 8.1 billion. Now that doesn't include the father and that either. Um, wow. So the economic costs, you know, we know about uh, men going off work with depression, the economic costs. And this is another area I'll be looking into because even though the health is the midwives are getting this training now, and there is courses on mental health, but it's, 
there's hardly anything on, on actually explain that fathers because you can imagine the stigma when I started 11, 12 years ago, whatever it is. You know, how can men get post depression? You know, man up, you know, what are you going to be depressed about? You didn't have a baby. Uh, my work has never been about taking attention away from mum, never has been. I'm not sure if I mentioned, Vicky, you know, I can't start the campaign for the mother baby unit. I'm all about parents, you know, gender quality, all sorts of things. So, but what I'm saying is, if you don't look after the father, then it has an impact on the mum later on as well. Because when I became depressed, Michelle's depression came back. And she was really bad. And now she was back in crisis teams as well. So it's about nipping in the bud, you know, keeping it, you know, get that early prevention in place as well. And if fathers are supported and screened for mental health and given that advice and, uh, and you know, shows that um, if fathers are depressed, I should say, they're less likely to sing, read, dance and play, which is so important, as we know, in a thousand critical days and beyond for the brain development of the child as well. So there's a range of reasons why we should be looking. But the biggest myths were, oh, it's hormonal. You ask any researcher, any professional, that is a part. It can be a part. But there's a range of reasons why uh, parents get depressed during the postnatal period. You know, risk factors, loads of risk factors. But there's a hormone change of fathers as well. Testosterone. Wow, I never knew that. Never knew that. Estrogen lowers during this time. There's a biological risk factors for fathers as well. And um, I got to quote this, uh, Dr. Anna Mitchin as well. She does a lot of research, but other researchers have said, yes, there's a shift in hormone. There's a me- there's a male menopause as well, people know where. What? Well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. God, we're only I, just talking about the female menopause. I know, I know, yeah, yeah, I know, exactly. There's a, I was doing a talk in Cardiff and... Uh, there was a gentleman who went through it as well, and he's done all the research on it as well. There's things I guess we don't don't think about as well, you know, as well as IVF, the pressures on IVF from parents as well. You know, it's a 50-50 problem, but 99% of the support is for the mum. You know, dad's with his shopping bag going to these convention centres, you know. We have to start looking at a more realistic approach. And not for, just for fathers, same gender parents. Everyone should be supported for their mental health during this time. Absolutely. And, you know, sort of parents, you know, same sex parents have a whole other load of sort of issues and also people's prejudices and, you know, lack of support given to them. And they probably need, you know, very um, specific support for their their circumstances. And and that's something that I, I really want to make sure we cover often in this this podcast, that it's I want every parent to feel seen and heard and understood because you know we're all we're all going through a similar thing but in so many you know every child's different every parent's experience is different and I want to make sure that you know we cover that whole range of experiences absolutely yeah if you enjoy this episode of blue mum days please rate and subscribe it only takes a minute but it genuinely makes a difference to how many people can find it which means helping more parents in need thank you